Great. Thank you very much, Dave. Let's spend a moment praying, shall we? Father, please would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So on we go with the story of Israel. So far we've looked at the call of Abraham. The fact that Abraham was tested by God. We've looked at the story of Joseph. And last week, Helen spoke about Moses being called by God through this incredible event known as the burning bush. And today, we're going to look at the exodus of the nation of Israel. So let's set the scene. The people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. Before this, Joseph had held a high position, as we've discussed, in Egypt, um, largely because of his ability to interpret dreams for Pharaoh. And he instructed there was going to be a great big famine and that Egypt should prepare for it. And as a result, Pharaoh put him in com- a second in command over the nation. Israel benefited from this, of course, because uh, this preparation protected and preserved them during this time of famine as well. As, as time went on, the Egyptian dynasty changed, and so people forgot about Joseph, and it, Egypt turned on Israel and forced them into slavery. And as, as, as Helen mentioned last week, Moses was born and was about to be thrown into the Nile, but was rescued and adopted into the Egyptian household. Later, Moses, as we discussed last week, was appointed by God to go to Pharaoh and to call him to release the Israelites. With much trepidation, Moses went, and Pharaoh said no, and God poured out ten plagues, and Pharaoh said okay then, and the people of Israel were released, and they began their journey to the promised land. Now, that's a fairly brief summary of what happened. I appreciate that, and today I am passing over the Passover, and we're going beyond that, and we start from the point that these guys are leaving Egypt. But that's the general gist of it. Thank you, by the way, for praying for me last week. I was up in Hope Church um, and uh, we had a great opportunity to preach the gospel, see people respond to it. There's a wonderful moment where this, he- this lady was healed of an um, ongoing balance problem that she'd had for a number of months and she was immediately set free by God. So that was wonderful. Had some three wonderful testimonies and three wonderful baptisms as well. And so I report back on behalf of Hope Church that our sister church in Shrewsbury is alive and well. And uh, there were some very exciting times there. And so as we look at this story here, I just want to say that um, this is one of the most significant moments in the Old Testament. More than that, this is one of the most significant moments in the whole of the Bible. The implications of this are far beyond what we read in the book of Exodus. Because there are significant implications for us as Christians that come out of this particular account. Because as we think about the big picture and the whole story of the nation of Israel, we remember that there was a promise made by God to Abraham. Because God not only promised that Abraham that he would make him into a nation, he also promised a land. And out of those promises, people and land, the Messiah would come. And every nation of the world would be blessed. And so the blessing 
that ultimately comes through putting our faith in Jesus and his death on, death on the cross to pay the price for the sins of the world, all of that blessing is actually tied up in what we're looking at today. The very thing that Christine was talking about is tied up with today, and, and we're going to come back to that a little bit later on. So as we get to grips with this story, it's not just some great ancient yarn that Cecil B. DeMille made into a famous film. This is vital because it's part of our own history. It's part of where we've come from. And so we pick up the story at the point where the people have been set free. They're stepping out into this new journey with God. Let's read from Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. And then from verse 21... By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So, question number one, why the long way? The shortest route to the promised land was the northern route, taking them through the Philistine country. Now, it's fair to say that there is some confusion as to the exact location of some of the geographical points mentioned in the book of Exodus. It's difficult to pinpoint the exact location of this or that. But to be blunt, that makes no difference to this particular point because rather than taking the short route, they took the long route. Rather than turning north, they turned south and headed towards the wilderness. Now, we may say, ah, oh, these silly old Israelites, they clearly got no sense of direction. You know, they're running around the desert like headless chickens. To, to, use a modern, to use a local phrase, they're all around the reeking. But here's the thing. As you can see from verses 21 and 22, God was very clearly and very obviously leading them. doesn't get much clearer than a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, does it? So it wasn't as if the people of Israel were dazed and confused. They didn't end up in the wilderness because they'd got God's direction wrong. They ended up in the wilderness because they got God's direction right. They were on the desert road, not because they were being disobedient to God, but because they were being obedient to Him. So what is this all about? It is God Himself that's leading them one way rather than the other. And he seems to be taking them on a, on a way which is different to the obvious way. Why would he do that? Well, we can see here God sees, as always, the bigger picture. You can tell from verse 17 that God knows the Israelites, they're just not ready for war. They're not ready to fight. And if they took the northern route... Almost certainly, they would have faced war because that northern route to Canaan 
was heavily guarded by a whole string of Egyptian fortresses all the way along. And God knew that the Israelites were not ready for that particular challenge. Now, later on, they would face those sorts of challenges. So by chapter 17 of this book, we see they're they're in a battle with the Amalekites. So there is a time where they're facing those challenges, but God in His wisdom and God in His providence knew that they were not yet ready to fight. Maybe by the time they faced the Amalekites, they were, um, the wilderness experience had um, caused them to have become tougher, a hardened people perhaps, more disciplined. But certainly at this point, going to war would have been a disaster. And God knew that. Verse 18 tells us that the nation, as they went out, they were armed for battle. So clearly they thought they were ready for war, it seems. But God knew best. Sometimes the longer road is the better road. And this may be confusing for the people of Israel. They've just been set free from slavery. They've just come into their freedom. God has wonderfully and miraculously delivered these people. And you can imagine they were pretty keen to fast track to the promised land. But God had other plans and God knew best. wonder if we can identify with these people at all. I know I can. I certainly can. Because when I was first delivered from slavery, when I talk about slavery, I'm talking about slavery to sin. When I was first rescued, when I was first brought into freedom, as Isaac shared, that freedom that only Christ can bring, that get out of jail free card that comes out of putting our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross, and we'll come back to that. When I was rescued, I had, I think I had a rather naive idea that that would mean I would be on the fast track to the good life. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled with my salvation. I'm delighted. I'm in an ongoing relationship with my wonderful Father in heaven. I'm overwhelmed by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm so glad for God's ongoing protection and His provision. But one thing I think I've learned since becoming a Christian is that God often leads me on a journey that appears to be taking quite a lot longer than I first expected. And as I've gone on that journey, He continues to change and refine my character. He teaches me patience. He teaches me perseverance. And often I've realized that God's timing has protected me from myself. Because there have been times where my gifts have grown quicker than my character. And it would have been a danger if my gift had promoted me to a place where my character couldn't have kept me. How relevant was Andrew's word today about timing? What absolutely spot on. Andrew had no idea what I was going to be talking about outside the context of the general title of today. And so that word about God's timing just seemed, it was a great encouragement to me because when you prepare, you think, is this really what God wants me to say? I think it is. And then when you get a prophetic confirmation, so clearly God wants us 
to be thinking about that today. Surely the Israelites would have been tempted, wouldn't they, to take the northern road? But they didn't. And the reason they didn't was that God was leading them in the opposite direction. And this is, this is important. They chose to follow Him. They chose obedience over impatience. They decided they would follow God. Who are you deciding that you will follow? Following is a big thing these days. Went to the doctor recently and said, Doctor, I'm addicted to Twitter. He said, Sorry, I don't follow you. <laughs> little, t- little techie joke there for you. <laughs> Who do we follow? Because these guys, they chose obedience over impatience. The north seemed so much quicker, but it was full of danger. The south seemed illogical, but it was the way that God was taking them. I want to encourage us to not just be tempted to take the northern road. I mean that metaphorically, not geographically, obviously. No offense to Scots in the room at all. But the application here is to follow God sometimes for the long haul, as individuals and sometimes as a church. I want to honor Martin this morning because his leadership obviously has greatly influenced me. But his prayerful persistence, his perseverance, and his commitment to obey and follow God's prompting has caused this church, has been a contributing factor significantly in this church's ability to continue to steadily grow steadily grow. And Martin has taught by example that we don't always just assume we take the short road. We take the road that God is leading us on. There's been many meetings where I've been in saying, let's do this. And he said, let's just take a week and reflect and ask God and come back. Of course, we we all want revival. We all want numbers to increase significantly, for hundreds to be added into this church, for greater healings, greater works of power. As a leader, I'm so up for that. I would, I, I would love that to be fast-tracked as well. Please don't get me wrong. I would love for that to happen now, straight away, from the sky. Bang. I'd love it. I'd love that for, for that to happen, the speedy northern route from up here, the northern route. Please don't hear me wrong. I also believe that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work amongst us. He's powerfully at work in this place. He's stirring us. He's increasing our gifts. But I also believe that God is leading us south. I believe he's calling us down. He's leading us this way. He's leading us to persevere on our knees. Maybe that word that Heather brought, Heather Wilson brought a couple of weeks ago, about God taking our prayers into himself is something that we actually need to respond to. The southern road, the long route. Sometimes God does things very quickly. I'm not dismissing that for a moment. But sometimes, as in this example, he takes longer than we would naturally imagine. The vital factor is this. We need to be obediently following his leading And I do believe, I do believe 
that God is calling us south, as it were, on our knees. And that's one of the reasons why tonight we're going to give some time. Esther, who's leading the worship, she felt instinctively we should give some time tonight to intercession. And she made that request and recommendation. And I immediately came back and said, well, you'll not believe it, but I'm preaching this morning. And I feel strongly that's something we want to be exhorted to, to think about as well. So we need to be obediently following his leading, following the cloud, following the fire. That's the key. Okay, chapter 14. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So fasten your seatbelts. This is a long chapter. It's a long and an exciting ride. And for the sake of comedy, there are words in it that I cannot pronounce. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near, here it is, Pi Ahiroth, Ahiroth, Pi Ahiroth. Let's all say that together, Pi Ahiroth. Wonderful. If you're looking a fool, make everyone look a fool, I say. Camp there, God says to Moses. Between Migdol and the sea, it's going to take a long time to read if I don't get on with it, isn't it? Between Migdol and the sea, they are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. That's not quite as hard. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and lost their service. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near, here we are, Pi Haharairoth. Shut up, Dave. Opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt you brought us in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out, out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you'll see the deliverance will, the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. What a word, eh? The Lord will fight for you, and you need only be still. Let's not miss that either. The Lord will fight with you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. So the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Easy, Moses, come on. I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gl gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. 
Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side, light to the other, so neither of them went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all the night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Israelites pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so they had difficulty in driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses spread out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. What a story. Question two. Why did they turn back? Why backtrack? It seemed like a retreat. Didn't seem to make a great deal of sense. But again, they turn back because they're obediently following God's instructions. They camp by the sea at that unpronounceable place. And then by verse 9, they realize that the Egyptian army is pursuing them. And now the Israelites are not only confused, they are terrified. And they turn on Moses, their leader, and they say, Moses, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. So there clearly weren't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us here to die. And to be honest, you can understand how they felt. They felt that God had gone back on his promises. God had gone back on his promise to, to rescue them and to help them and to love them and to care for them. You can imagine they would be thinking, how can we believe in a God of love? can imagine they were thinking, why would God allow this to happen? But God had it covered. Again, he could see the big picture. And as we can see from the early uh, verses in chapter 14, God wanted to catch Pharaoh's eye, causing him to think that the people of Israel were confused and wandering around in the desert. And so Where the people saw an impending disaster, God saw a purpose that would demonstrate his glory and increase their faith. More than that, God saw an opportunity to secure this nation, to set them free from their past enemies once and for all. God knew, you see, that as the Israelites backtracked, the the Egyptians would would be tempted to pursue them. God knew that as the Egyptians pursued them, the Israelites in their desperation would call out to him. God knew that as they put their faith in him, the miraculous would happen and Moses would lift his his staff and the Red Sea would part. God knew that the Egyptians would pursue his people, would follow his people into the Red Sea and that they would be destroyed. The Israelites were terrified. The Israelites were confused, but they could not see things from God's perspective. God was working his purposes out. Listen to this. God was bringing his people a benefit which they didn't even realize they needed. 
He was bringing them a benefit that they didn't even know they needed. He was dealing with a danger that they thought was gone, was past history. But actually, God knew it was still there and had to be ultimately defeated. If Israel had not been trapped and baffled and terrified and helpless at the Red Sea, there would have been no final defeat for that power that once enslaved them. And we can probably see that there's some application here for us. There's some lessons for us to learn. It is the will of God that gives purpose to our lives. There is always a bigger picture, a picture that He is aware of and we're not yet aware of. And there are dangers and enemies that, praise God, are unknown to us, but He guards us from, sovereignly, supernaturally, in His love. And the key is about obediently following Him, which, even when it seems a little bit crazy, let me just give you a tiny, tiny example of that. A few years ago, a member of our church who sat here, Nick Blackburn, introduced me to a man called Fred from Kenya. And after meeting Fred, it became apparent that there may be something which uh, worth pursuing in our relationship with the churches that Fred was connected with in Kenya. And so Helen and I were invited to go. And I was very unsure of it. I think at the time, Kenya was the 14th most dangerous place to go for Christians. There'd just been various terrorist attacks and various things that were happening. I was unsure as to whether we should go, but became convinced this was something that God was speaking to us about. It was only a short trip, but it was something that we didn't want to go on unless it was God that was taking us. And so we were driving to Cornwall on a family holiday, and I said to the family, you know, in a very grand way, I think the Hotchkiss family should go to Kenya. And, and this was a partnership between Tear Fund and, and Barnabas. And both Helen and Isaac had already come to this conclusion, which is really annoying. Uh, and they said, well, we knew that, so that's great. Reuben, on the other hand, was, was quite unsure. Um, and he'd heard about, you know, terrorist attacks, and he'd heard about illness, and he was a little bit unsure. And he needed God to speak to him for himself. And so Reuben, as he read the Gospels, he, he read about Jesus moving from village to village, preaching the Gospel and healing the sick, and he felt God speak to him and said, that's what you're going to do in Kenya. And actually, that's what we did. We had this wonderful opportunity to do that. And so we told Reuben's story, uh, and the Kenyans were saying, well, we were already going to do this. And so it was a great prophetic moment. And so we all agreed that we would go. And so we went. And there are many other aspects to the story which demonstrated God's calling, God's provision, God's leading and guiding uh, for our family as we went with nine other friends from this church on this adventure. But as we were there, um, we felt, yeah, we're being obedient to God. But while we were there, there was an 11-hour bus journey where Reuben began to suffer from a, a fever and was really quite poorly, very poorly for the whole of the journey. I thought to myself, what have we done? You know, um, I was really concerned. I thought, what if this, what if he dies while we're here? You know, what, I know it's extreme, but do you know what I mean? There was this sense by which, what, what have I done? This boy is so poorly. Uh, and I must admit, I had one or two health issues myself. I won't give the details, but I think it's sufficient to say it was connected with my stomach. And, um, I remember the day, Nick will remember this well, when I, the day I felt least well 
was the day when I'd be assigned to preach five times, including an open-air gospel service. Um, And I mention these things just to be honest with you. I was not feeling the call of God anymore, to be honest. I was feeling the call of something else. And um, (laughs) in all honesty, there were times where I really wondered, what what are we doing in Kenya? This is Nick's fault. (laughs) Other members of the team were poorly at different times. And, you know, uh, so I I did. There were times I thought, what, God, you know, what is this? What has God, has God really called us to do this? Is this really about him? And yet God seemed to have in his mind a much bigger picture. We're still exploring the uh, relationship with the churches in Kenya. And I know Martin's going to lead us as we pray about some aspects of our international work this evening. But um, clearly there's progression. Fred has been to the Christ Central Conference Devoted, which Dave has just mentioned again. Fred and uh, the pastor of the churches uh, in Kenya that are connected um, with, with, um, uh, with us, um, a guy called Wycliffe. Fred and Wycliffe traveled to Zambia to meet Joseph Mawila, the apostolic leader of the Christ Central Churches in Africa. Martin is in discussion with the Kenyans about School of Leadership, which we've heard about today. And so it seems that there was a much bigger picture than just my stomach. There was a bigger picture that I could not see when I was feeling really poorly and I was concerned for my son and for my friends. I appreciate that is a very small and quite minor example, but it just illustrates that God, who is outside space and time, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what he's... At the time, when I was feeling poorly, preaching on the open air, thinking, I'm going to kill Nick, all of those moments, (laughs) actually, God saw something much, much bigger. He sees what we cannot see. And we may be mystified as to why we're in a particular circumstance or in a particular situation. But can I, can I encourage you? He has it covered. There may be people in the room right now and you are confused as to why you're in a situation you find yourself in. You feel, I've followed God and yet it seems that he's led you to this place and you don't really yet understand why. I want to encourage you from this incredible story of the Exodus. Continue to trust him. Continue to follow him because God knows what he's doing. He has it covered. Like the Israelites, you might think, how can a God of love allow this to happen? But we only see part of the story. So the particular bits of application out of this passage relate, I think, to how God leads us. The importance of understanding that sometimes we don't know why he's taking us to a particular place But he does it because he knows what he's doing. The importance of understanding that sometimes God's timing is different to ours. And the reason for that is because he knows what he's doing. And just when we think we're trapped or defeated, there's a Red Sea moment. And God miraculously turns up. And while we're waiting for that moment, it can feel pretty unsettling and nerve-wracking. I wonder whether God's leading or God's timing is an issue for you right now. Two different categories of people there. God's leading, God's timing. It may be that's an issue for you in just a moment or two. I'm going to ask you just to come as a response, knowing, yeah, I'm struggling with God's leading. I'm struggling with God's timing. I'm going to come and encourage you just to come and stand by me. We're just going to pray for you.
I'd like to pray for you as I conclude. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond today. But there's a third category. This comes back to Christine saying, today is the day of salvation. There's a third category of people because this story is a story of freedom from slavery. This story is a story of deliverance. This story is a story of people coming into a new life. And that new life is not about some holy glow with organ music in the background. It's not about floating around in a holy bubble with the sound of waterfalls everywhere. As the story shows, it can be tough, but it's a new life. And although there are challenges, the challenges come in the context of freedom rather than slavery. And so what is obvious throughout that journey, in spite of the challenges, is the presence of God, evident throughout God is constantly with them. So I believe today there are people who need to come and receive new life. Come and receive freedom from slavery. Receive that get out of free, get out of jail free card. Today is your day, a day of salvation. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. In fact, let's stand together. Just for a moment. Prayer team, I wonder whether you could just make yourself available. If anyone's on the prayer team today, would you just come and stand over in this area, please? Thank you. Let's just close our eyes for one moment. And then we're going to open them and then people will respond. Firstly, people who are struggling with God's timing. Secondly, People who are struggling with how God's leading them and where they find themselves. And thirdly, people who are not sure of their freedom and are looking for new life today. If you fall into any of those three categories, please just come and stand here. Please come now.